I'm Tegan. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, Tegan. How you doing? I'm doing pretty, doing pretty well. Um, looking forward to some beach games. Funtivities? And- Are you looking forward to funtivities? I think funtivities is a great word. It is another one of the office words that I have brought into my vocabulary and that I use. What would be a context in which you would say funtivities? Um, I don't know. If I'm like trying to come up with something to do and we're like, let's do some funtivities. I love that. I, I <laughs> Would you ever use it in a class or no? No. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, then you'd be really Michael Scott. <laughs> I think that would be like, you know, when Michael says to Dwight, something like calm down your enthusiasm is turning people off. Yes. <laughs> I think if I said funtivities sincerely in class, the students would be like, your enthusiasm is turning us off. <laughs> oh, you already brought up Dwight and I feel so bad for Dwight in this episode. Oh, <laughs> Dwight got, got a real insight into Michael's uh, relationship to everybody in the office, but especially Dwight this time, but. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, we will get there. But before we get there, um, I can, uh, uh, unless you, do you have any messages at um, the receptionist's corner? You know, I have, I have one that I wrote on a post-it note. Let's crack it open. And I can no longer really fully read what I wrote. But they- <laughs> After the last podcast, got a call from my brother who had some had some thoughts. One thing that we had asked, we talked about, again, following the interests of Dwight, um, what kinds of bears are best. Ross had given us some critique that we had chosen the wrong kinds of bears. So I went back and I asked, well, what is your favorite kind of bear? And he said, well, there are basically three schools of thought. <laughs> <laughs> the polar bear brown bear or black bear but it depends on what attributes you value most um his favorites are brown bears and black bears one feature he liked of the black bear is that there's one in the andy griffith show um (laughs) so that's another apparently another famous television bear um but i will say he did have another another grievance and that was with you in particular Uh uh-oh Oh, no. That was when you really dismissed Baloo from the Jungle Book as a bear. And you said, I suggested Baloo as a television or a movie, you know, cultural bear. And uh, you just said pass. And Ross thought that was a travesty and that he is the most epic cartoon bear of all time. The most epic? The most epic. So do you care to respond? Um, Yeah. Ross, first, um, are you in a nursing home? Are you 85 years old? What are you watching the Andy Griffith show for? You have decades of television to to update your references. What are, what are we talking about? Was Is this like an important show that you guys watched in your family? I did watch the Andy Griffith show, yeah. And I stand by it. I firmly stand by it. <laughs> okay, to be fair, I've never seen the Andy Griffith show. I don't even know what it is. But like... <laughs> 
the insight I get into your family is so confusing. But right now I'm picturing you all like dressed in the same pajamas, drinking warm milk around a black and white television, watching Andy Griffith. Definitely did not drink warm milk or wear matching pajamas. So. Okay, but then uh, uh, back to the second thing that Ross said. Uh, I just feel like I'm I'm poking the bear. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> uh, anyway, no, I don't. I mean, like, come on, Megan. Surely you must agree that there are other more interesting cartoon bears. We've already discussed the Berenstein Bears, uh, for example. You've got your Yogi Bear. You've got your, I don't know, name other bears. <laughs> Yogi, pass. No thanks. <laughs> what? He's he's like eating picnic baskets. Yeah, he's stealing from the rich and giving to bears. Baloo didn't charm you at all. What about when he scratches his back on the palm tree? Yeah, okay, it's pre that's pretty cute. It's pretty it's cute. pretty cute, right? Although he's you're anthropomorphizing him, I want to respect the bear's otherness. Whereas you're like, let's turn the bear into it, its human qualities. Disney already do that for me. Yeah, I think it did. It did. Um, well, all right. I, 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 maybe I'll visit this in revisions and regrets. Who can say? Who can say? Um, I have a message, although I was—I don't know if I was given permission to read it, um, but it was texted to me. Therefore, I believe it's, you know, I don't know. Public domain. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So this is from Corey, who texted me nine minutes into the pod. Uh, and I don't know if this is, I think this is the last episode. Anyway, so Corey wrote, okay, so I'm running while listening to Office Hours, and I'm nine minutes in and had to pause to say that no. Oh, that's Toby sneezing. Uh, Michael Jordan was not very good at baseball. Also, okay. Although Megan's omission of the second three-peat was inconsequential to the analogy she made, it still pained me as a former Bulls fan that the repeat <laughs> of the three-peat was not mentioned. Now, I do not understand any of this, but also Patrick <laughs> Mahomes played both basketball and football in college and I think had the chance to go pro, which I think is for professional. Is that what she's talking about? I'm just kidding. In either, but chose, she's like, I can't wait for her to listen to this be screaming. And anyway, but chose football in the end. Also, he's pretty cute and sounds like Kermit the Frog. You might just enjoy Googling him. Um, I did not uh -huh. do that, but I should have. Wait, sorry. I was, I was, I was laughing too much. I couldn't get over the fact that you were asking if pro stands for professional. She said Patrick Mahomes is pretty cute and sounds like Kermit the Frog. That's what she said. Wow, that feels you, like a controversial opinion. Do you think he's cute? I do not. All right, hold on. You know what? Let's just let's let's go to the uh, Patrick Mahomes. So let's talk about the repeat of the three-peat. It, it, it is kind of shameful of me. This is such a big Chicago thing. I can't believe I forgot it. Um, the other day I was watching, there were these really classic Saturday Night Live um, sketches with Chris Farley and this group of guys who were, oh gosh, what were they called? I can't remember, but they were like these Chicago super Ooh. fans. Were they do De Bears? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The De Bears thing. And um, I was watching this one where they're like, I'm not talking a four peat, a five peat, or even a six peat. We're looking at a minimum eight peat. So, like the three peat thing was really, really a big deal. And um, you know, we had we had big ambitions for more peats. And uh, you know, I'm doing that thing where I'm including this as we, as if the triumph of the bears was somehow 
involving not bears bulls god this is getting so bad i'm sorry we have to like run far away from both bear talk and sports talk but (laughs) did i did you say what the three peat was and i missed it so did they just win three championships in a row or something yeah when that kind of thing happens don't people just feel like oh you should should let somebody else have a chance just just to keep it interesting i don't know so I assume that that's how a sports fan feels. Yeah, I do. I do at times feel that way. Not so much about the Bulls, but yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, all right. Well, I have no other messages at the receptionist corner. Um, do you? I do not. Do you have any revisions and regrets? Uh, I do. But before we head over to accounting, I will just say that if you want to message us, uh, it's the best office hours podcast at gmail.com or apparently you can just text us and uh you you may or may not get your your thoughts read on the pod um but let's head over to accounting and this is a big day for me mm. because i have finally finally put in my phone a category called revisions and regrets and um wow. so i'm pretty excited about that I am too. So uh, in my phone, I have some revisions and regrets. And the first one is the most important, which is I said at one moment, what do you call a bearologist or a person that studies bears? Uh-huh. And I was so embarrassed, uh, of course, to discover that you would call that an ursinologist. <laughs> um, so I imagine that all the ursinologists who listen were listening and filled with rage um (laughs) then i looked up so uh, we had talked about the mandala effect was that it the Uh, um, mandela effect mandela effect yes with the uh berenstein bears Bears. and i had said something like isn't it fun when you have a good old conspiracy but it doesn't necessarily have any racism underneath it or whatever so i did deep dive conspiracy as far as I can tell, at least specific to the Berenstein Bears issue, it huh? seems as if there is no underlying, like it doesn't sound oh, as if people okay. attach it to some kind of racist or anti-Semitic thing. Um, but that said, I only read like two articles on it. So, uh, you know, I don't know. But apparently it's something about some government experiment or whatever with time or whatever that's uh, oh, wow. see yeah I, I believe that if, if there's there has to be some some explanation because it just it just doesn't make sense then when we said see it's fun having revisions and regrets i should really have been doing this for the last 51 episodes anyway yeah, you um, should remember more what you feel bad about <laughs> yeah but it's also disturbing listening back to the pod and you're like hey you remember your jam theory and i'm like what are you who's jam what are you talking yeah. about anyway um I said on the pod, basically, like, you know, where do these kids hang out these days? What's a teenage hangout? And I mentioned when I was young, the mall, the movie theater, I felt so ashamed that I didn't mention the most important of all teenage hangouts and arguably the most important all night hangout there is, which is the diner. And for me, that was a very uh, significant place in Mm -hmm. my, um, you know, youth, my wayward teen and college years. Yeah, and uh, finally, I this is not so much a revision and regret for me as it is a request for more information from you. 
But somebody texted me asking or saying that we need more information about this potato place in the mall you went to. And so I was wondering if you might have a revision, an update with the name of Potato Place. You know what? Interestingly enough, I was searching um, before we got on to see and nothing. I was searching like baked potato restaurants and there were a couple things that came up, but nothing rang a bell like nothing seemed like it was quite right um there are a couple of them that have spud in the title they tend to do this thing of having like a pun based name which i don't love there's one that's called the great steak and potato company but this place didn't have steaks it was purely potato focused and so i haven't been able to find the name so if you could get some more information from this person about what kind of information they want, I will see what I can remember, but I have not been able to find the name of the place. I have to take a deeper dive. I didn't invest enough time. And frankly, I didn't know there would be interest. Um, yeah, I think people hang on every word that we say. <laughs> I think we are, you know, s- sort of fascinating, uh, I guess. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> The, the the listeners don't have the context that for about an hour before we started the podcast, we were just talking about our crushing insecurity. Uh, so, you know, anyway, that's, uh, that's that. I have no others. Do you have any revisions and regrets? Um, I do. I have, I have one, and that was really an omission that I deeply regretted. And it was one of my favorite things that Michael says. Um... So this is when, when Women's Appreciation, he is called the conference room meeting. And you know, I'm always up for a good conference room meeting with Michael. And he says, okay, so I want to engage us today in a hardcore discussion. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> framing it as a hardcore discussion is so funny. <laughs> but a hardcore discussion about women's problems and issues and situations and the way that he pronounces issues is issues. What is with that? Do you have any knowledge of that pronunciation? I don't. I don't know what the, the reference is. It was just such a weird Michael moment. Um, and so I just I just wanted to get that on the record. I regretted omitting it. The other thing is something that I want to propose that you should regret and revise. And that was that you told me you described Toby as the most toothless and bland person ever. And then you said that you thought his comment to Kevin was very much something I would say when he says to Kevin, I think we would hang out the we hang out the appropriate amount. And then the next day, you baited me and you texted me and you said something like, Oh, that was really fun recording. We should talk. I wish you could hang out more often. And I wrote back something sincere and like, yes, I love you. Let's hang out all the time. Moved to Illinois. And then I realized what you were doing. And then I texted the actual thing. But you like got me to um, declare my love for you and desire to hang out when really you were just fishing um that comment so do you care to respond uh, i regret there's a lot going on for the listeners there's there's a lot of expression on the other side of the zoom this, right this is the most called out i've ever felt uh in my life on the pod um 
Okay, well, let me explain myself first. Okay. <laughs> uh, you in no way are bland and toothless like Toby. And, and to be clear, you were describing this as, as a positive attribute of Toby, but as <laughs> it was following it being like Toby is the most boring person of all time. That is not that that part is not you. What I meant was uh that's him, but in that one moment when he says that in response to Kevin, it's so out of character for him where he is being um uh i don't know you know arch and ironic and or whatever i don't know it, 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 and and speaking the truth i feel like you're a person who always always says the truth and uh says it like you know sometimes with a smile and sometimes with a with rage or whatever but like anyway so i think that that's the vibe i was getting from yes you definitely you definitely intended well but how, did, how did you feel then when you said to me we should hang out more and I was like yes please okay so I felt great because I feel as if I'm often the one not only in our friendship but with other people in my life where I'm like sending squishy messages after <laughs> and like always sort of being like oh my god I really like honor you and love this friendship and this relationship we have and often people will be like, me too, or like, like, and I'm like, oh, man, whatever. And I do feel like something that you are excellent at in texting is being really like kind of witty and sarcastic. And I'm just like a mushy, bleeding heart, you know? And uh, so I was trying to do you. I was trying to be like, okay, I'm not going to be mushy. I'm going to text Megan dialogue from the show. And when you didn't, like register that I was like oh shit I felt so bad <laughs> then you got it like I don't know 15 minutes 10 minutes later something like that and I was <laughs> then I felt even worse so were you just sitting there silently being like oh no she likes me more than I thought no no I was like oh fuck how do I <laughs> if I because I was like if I respond now and be like oh my god I feel the same way too and then you realize that I was quoting Kevin uh, anyway, but you know, I'm so glad you brought this up on pod. You know, I, I, listeners, I had no idea this was coming. This is a gotcha interview. These are gotcha <laughs> questions. Gotcha, gotcha journalism. This is gotcha journalism. You do a little bit of sports journalism, a little bit of gotcha journalism. We really cover the journalisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you come to the office. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you did early on propose that this podcast would be partly a processing of our friendship. And I think, I think we're really arriving there as we hit the end of season. One might even say a fragmenting of our friendship. <laughs> but I sort of like the idea of our friendship. It's like, so we no longer become friends, but we're so committed to the podcast that we like continually do it, but it gets increasingly passive aggressive. Yes. It's like an, it's like an amicable friendship divorce where it's yeah. like, stay together for the podcast but we yeah. used to discontinue our friendship yeah 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 yeah. uh and then all of the like messages into accounting are from your family members like saying <laughs> things to me <laughs> anyway um well again if you want to write into us uh and tell us what we should regret uh you can do so um but i just want to put in one more uh announcement so we are coming up on the end of season three very soon uh, so next episode will be the end of season three. And then we are going to have some kind of retrospective looking back on the season. And last time that took the form of two pods. Um, 
and we're open to your feedback or thoughts. But one thought I had is that if people want to write in with some of their favorite moments of the pod uh, from this season, um, that would be fun uh, for us. It would certainly satisfy our narcissism. Or if you want to write in about your favorite moments from the show uh, for this season that you want to give a shout oh, out to. Yeah. Um, yeah, they could give us um, things that we should revise and regret too, like things we missed, you know, key yeah. or missed, things we should have hit that they were upset about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. Um, okay, should we head on over to um, the conference room? Let's go. Okay, well, so this is uh, season three, episode 23, and it is um, Beach Games. Expecting a promotion, Michael organizes a competition to find a worthy successor. Pam summons unprecedented courage. So, uh, where do you want to start with this episode? Why don't we start at the beginning today? Great. Uh, Michael doesn't feel well. Michael does not feel well. Michael is in his office feeling sick. David Wallace calls and you know, I'm always happy when David Wallace shows up. Oh, um, you love him. <laughs> I love David Wallace. But one of my favorite parts of this is when, as Pam sets it up, she says about 40 times a year, Michael gets really sick, but has no symptoms. Dwight is always gravely concerned. 40 times a year. That is a lot of times to imagine yourself seriously ill it's like at least it's almost once a week right <laughs> it's almost once a week yeah yeah and he probably gets a good i don't know you know few weeks of vacation so <laughs> yeah he's i think he's at about a once a week once a week rate um but he gets a call from from david wallace and uh david wallace is calling to ask him to come interview for a job at corporate and um i want to hear what you think but i do just want to get into the record the way that michael answers the phone and he says to what do i owe this great honor david wallace and then david starts to say michael i'm calling and michael goes and gromit <laughs> wallace and gromit do you know oh man i did not get that <laughs> oh i'm an idiot <laughs> just... that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was a great little joke to slip in there, Michael. But what did you think about this opening and the call, the news for Michael that he's being considered for this position? A few things. Number one, uh, man, picking up on our conversation from last time and women's appreciation and our, I mean, if you ever wanted a trans reading of Michael Scott, um, the fact that Michael says maybe it's menses, uh, Oh, Dwight says that to him. Oh, Dwight says abdomen menses, and Michael says maybe. Um, so <laughs> uh, I thought that was intriguing. Um, I'll say that. Uh, I This made me chuckle thinking back to kind of the earliest days of WebMD vibes. And, you know, I mean, I feel like it's still a common joke about like, you know, you, you Google your sickness and you have the worst possible thing or something like that. But um, but I will say, I, I don't know if I love this cold open. I don't tend to love them when they set up the plot um, so explicitly. And so this one does a lot of that. It like reminds us that Jan and Michael uh, broke up or that he broke up with her and she's gone now. It <clears throat> sets up the whole premise of the job switch. Um, and it gives us, a, you know, 
we already knew this, but like Dwight as kind of a toady caretaker of Michael's. So, you know, I don't know, but I will say the thing that really made me laugh is um, the ending and the editing of it. So when he says, um, may God guide you in your quest, <laughs> it's like great awkward pause. And Michael says, yes. And it like cuts so quickly that I, I really enjoyed. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's been. Did you see any like parallels from this to the episode to come? Were there parts of this you liked or had thoughts on? Hmm. You know, just, yeah, this one definitely, like you said, it's more setting up the plot and what is going to happen. I think probably my favorite part of this opening. Well, let me take that back. I always love when David calls. <laughs> um, I love having him on the phone, but the part that was more separate or more distinct from the plot itself was the thing about Michael getting sick and the back and forth between him and Dwight. Um, and let's see part of that, just the, some of the things um, that Michael says when Dwight asks him, so you mentioned the menses thing and then the uterus contracts after your egg passes through it. And then Michael says, no, it, I do not have eggs. Um, and then Dwight asks, is it possible that you ate food that contained animal waste? And Michael says, it's possible. And, uh, <laughs> that's when David Wallace calls it just, I don't know. So I think that their back and forth is funny. Um, but I have no, no grand theories about connections to what comes. Although I guess it is interesting that Dwight is always gravely concerned when Michael is not feeling well but then like you said michael's so mean to dwight at the end and um Beautiful. you know dwight is going to we'll, we'll get to the coal walk but dwight walks so the coals like falls down it's like rolling in them it's horrible and michael just is is done he's like this this looks terrible you can't look like this as a manager um so i do think we see the difference in the response when Michael is suffering and Dwight is gravely concerned. Michael is imagining that he's suffering and Dwight is gravely concerned and Dwight is actually suffering and Michael is not concerned at all. Oh man, I suddenly want to psychoanalyze Michael, like, you know, having these phantom sick illnesses uh, to get attention <laughs> or whatever. Like, is it to, is it to gather Dwight's attention? But on the other hand, he doesn't want that attention anyway. Yeah, no, I love your point. And Oh, it's so brutal what happens to Dwight. Before <laughs> we get there, <clears throat> the before we get to the beach, we basically see Michael um, and Pam kind of set up the, the plan, which is to have her take notes, <clears throat> and she's not going to be able to sort of enjoy the beach day in the same way. Um, and uh, they, you know, get ready for the parte bus. Um at which point Kevin leads them all in singing this song, uh, which I'm completely forgetting the name of right now. Um, I think it it's something. Gambler? Gambler? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, Kenny. It's like singing about the cards, right? And like, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them and what to do with your money. And That's right. Uh, written by Don Schlitz, August 1936. But performed by, or it made, was made a mainstream success by Kenny Rogers uh, mm -hmm. in 1978, um, two years later. But uh, in any case, uh, yeah, any thoughts on the setup here? 
Um, Toby is bummed he can't go because Pam was going to wear a two-piece. Yes. (laughs) A couple of things. Michael's request to Pam when he says, I would like you to take notes and I want you to find out about people's character. Not their hotness per se, but their humor and their charisma and the indefinable quality that makes you all glad to follow me. Pam asks, you want me to write down people's indefinable qualities? And Michael responds, I want you to write down everything that people are doing all day and then type it up in a way that is helpful. All right. And I really like Michael's clarification here when he says, I want you to find out about their character, not their hotness per se, but these other things, Um, their humor, their charisma, their indefinable quality. I mean, I think we see how much the receptionist is like the essential person of the office in this. Mm-hmm. And she is kind of the, the hinge that holds it together. The other thing I want to say about the bus, when they're singing and Michael's voice, when he goes into, what is it? Kind of a falsetto. Like he's got this high, loud voice that you can hear over the other people singing. And it's just fantastic. It is, yeah, his voice, it like almost a church choir vibe. Yeah. I love the way the whole thing kind of swells. I like, um, it's interesting that Kevin starts out. It makes sense to a degree, I suppose, because A, he's in Scrantonicity. And B, we know he's a gambler, right? And so yeah. those oh, two yeah. things go together. What is interesting to me is that he's sitting next to Angela on the bus, and Angela seems to know the words instantly. Um, yeah. Like, which I just find charming, like as a, you know, detail that she, you know, slowly people's mouths start to move the words and whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. There's something kind of sweet about the whole crew singing together. It reminds me of some kind of weird high school field trip or something. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It does have kind of that vibe. If you got on a bus with your coworkers, would you participate in singing? Okay, well, I have a, I don't know if this is a confession, but I have gotten my department, well, this is back in the early days when I was at Cortland, but oh. I got a bunch of the people in the department to go do karaoke. Um, oh. And so in that respect, I feel like I would be the person to try to make everybody sing some silly song. Uh, I'm not good at singing, but I sure do like uh you know collective uh silliness so i don't know what about you i feel like you'd be rolling your eyes and and uh you know i would be yeah yeah i um i would have a very hard time participating in this but i love to know angela of your department who are you oh that's a great question i hope i'm the oscar i want to be the oscar okay Um, yeah that's what you yeah 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 yeah. that makes sense that makes sense (laughs) does it yeah, it does. <laughs> okay, I'm flattered. If you'll let me be the Oscar. Um, yeah. yeah, I hope I'm not the Angela, but I don't really want to sing. But I guess Oscar sings. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I'd be super comfortable with this, but I, I love it that you are and that you are in this way more like Michael Scott than we maybe anticipated. Oh, you know, you just slip that in really quickly. That's what she said. And I didn't appreciate it. That's what she said. So um, but I'm curious what you make of the song choice. So, you know, we've, we could read it as a, uh, what's his face as, um, you know, choice, Kevin, uh-huh. Gamble, yeah. therefore, but 
so the song is about uh, this gambler giving advice mm-hmm. to another gambler who is uh, like uh, broke. And he's like, if you give me some whiskey, I'll give you some advice or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the song, like he dies or goes off to die or something. But basically his advice is you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Um, never count your money when you're sitting at the table. And then after that, it's every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away and knowing what to keep because every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. And the best that you can hope for is to die in your sleep. Um, But so I'm just wondering if there's a way in which that sets up something about the games, uh, the beach games um, and anybody's strategy. Because we're told here like a good player would know what to throw away and what to keep and when to do that. I don't know. Do you see any strategy? Oh, wow. I had not thought about connecting this at all, but it does seem like Michael in, so as he finds out at the end, I mean, he's planning this entire thing to try to find his successor, but he finds out at the end that Jim is also interviewing for the job. And so it seems like the problem with Michael here is that he didn't know when to hold him. Like he didn't know when to hold his cards and he put this stuff down and he like counted his money at the table or whatever. And it yes. was too soon. And literally does it at the hot dogs, right? Like it's at the table when he, he, uh, I was going to say spills the beans, but that's yeah. the metaphor. <laughs> puts yeah, his cards down. That's right. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of the connection? But he partly reveals that because he's losing them, right? Like they're not going to play along if he doesn't give them an incentive mm-hmm. or give them context. Um, well, so yeah, what did you think of the functivities and the <laughs> the choices he makes? Um, so we have the egg blindfolded egg race. We've got uh, hot dog eating contest, which we will discuss at length. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we have the sumo wrestling kind of inflated outfits uh-huh. and the cold walk, right? This thing, the protective gloves that you have to use. That's right. That's in the instructions. I definitely wondered as we went through these, what managerial skills do these games exhibit? <laughs> <laughs> and as you know, I always want to find out, where was Michael Wright? <laughs> That should be a new segment. (laughs) That should be a new segment. Michael's pedagogy. (laughs) Um, So so what managerial skills do these games exhibit? So I guess, I mean, the egg race, you have to trust the person. If you're the blindfolded person, you have to trust the other person who's leading you. And we see that for Kelly, that does not work and the person who's the guide has to be a good and trustworthy guide so that's for the that's for that i mean i guess the sumo suits the fighting is just physical fighting maybe that's i don't know yeah tenacity and maybe too that's a part of the office that michael wants to have but if we go back to Daryl's instructions about the Baylor and, you know, comparing the office to be nerf life. I guess this is a way he wants to show that being a manager isn't nerf life. Cause I guess fighting and walking across coals and not nerf. Um, 
the uh, the hot dog eating contest, doing whatever you got to do in the limited time you have, and being uncomfortable and dealing with it. I don't know. What have What have you got? Is there any Is there any legitimate merit to these competitions? Well, um, I mean, I like that reading because the reason I like it is first because it's like Michael Scott has a logic, right? And he's chosen <laughs> these things for a reason, even if that logic is like somewhat batshit. Um, <laughs> and he's saying, what does he say that he wants? He wants um, uh, Pam to take notes on their humor, their charisma, and the indefinable quality that makes you all glad to follow me. So in some way, I suppose we're meant to see those traits coming out. Oh, I forgot the other contest is the Bob Hope factor um, or the Amanda oh, yeah. Lines uh, uh, factor. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I don't know. I guess we're supposed to partly see like his charisma. And what's interesting in the egg race is, um, yeah, like we get to see each character kind of, I don't know, like how they would read it's the Megan theory of character like how they're expressed through their reactions to the situation and you know um uh Dwight wants to bully the temp who's just like forget it I give up uh yeah see yeah. um uh Stanley is like grateful that Phyllis drops it uh so he can just like not have to worry about it or take it seriously is he Andy, okay. is he when he's like great Though, was he like happy to step out at that point or is he annoyed at Phyllis for being so bad at it? I thought he says, thank you so much. I thought he was like, I'm good. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I took, I took him to be sarcastic there. Like, thank you so much. But I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's okay tapping out at that point. It's interesting. Yeah. Cause I read him as basically like, I don't want to do any of this until he discovers it means yeah. he boss. He has my favorite line of the episode. Um, which I might as well mention just now, which is I would rather work for an upturned broom with a bucket for a head than work for somebody else in this office beside myself, game on. Um, so just the image of a bucket for a head on a on a mop is just really funny. He does, he does get very motivated, but he's actually wearing, isn't that called a bucket hat? The kind of hat that he's wearing? Oh, I didn't think about hey, okay. So well, thing, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I got it. So you mentioned the Bob Hope factor, and so I do just have to discuss that um, because you're right. That's another contest, or that he sets it up as a contest. Only Dwight actually puts something forth really in that, which is like a kind of storytelling, joke telling thing. But I want to read what leads up to this Bob Hope factor thing. So Michael says. Look, I don't want to leave this branch that I love to an outside hire. Therefore, we're going to have a 100-point winner-take-all sudden-death tribal council round. To test the aspect of my job that I think is the most important, something I call the Bob Hope factor. Okay, wait, first of all. So there are all these references, I think, to Survivor, right? Isn't that like the, the tribal council round? Mm-hmm. People get eliminated? Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it also has the... Um, vibe kind of of say a bachelor group date where you go out and do something ridiculous as a group but it's in order to like show oh is this a person who rolls with the punches is this a person who's gonna fight with the other people is this a person who's going to like take risks and get along and whatever um so this one though he has to test 
that most important aspect of the job, something I call the Bob Hope factor. And Kelly says, who's Bob Hope? Michael, God, he's a comedian. Kelly, oh, like Amanda Bynes? Michael, who's Amanda Bynes? Kelly, she's from What a Girl Wants. Michael, oh, I love that movie. Yes, Kelly is right. The person to replace me has to have a great sense of humor and they have to possess the leadership qualities of a Bynes or a Hope. Okay, the way that Michael takes on a Bynes or a Hope uses her last name that way, parallel with um, parallel with Bob Hope, I just thought was really great because I don't think anyone else um, really puts them together. So Amanda Bynes um, was a child actress and she was on that Nickelodeon show, um, all that, right? And I think it was kind of like a kid's Saturday Night Live format. Is that kind of what that show was like? It was kind of sketch comedy. Mm -hmm. So she was in that. um, So like that kind of child star. She was in What a Girl Wants. Let me just give you the brief description of What a Girl Wants. It's a 2003 American teen comedy film. Um... Based on the 1955 play, The Reluctant Debutante, it's a second adaptation for screen, um, and it tells the story of a 17-year-old girl who goes to England to meet the father she never knew. So the fact that the way that Michael immediately jumps on and thinks, oh yeah, I love that movie, Um, pretty great. Here's the thing, though. Mm Mm-hmm. I was thinking, we got to figure out where this mistake in my mind was. Is the script that I'm looking at wrong? Or was my mind wrong when I watched it? And I maybe just, it was that I searched Amanda Bynes. But the show, or the movie that I was thinking about that she's also in is She's the Man. Hmm. All right, I'm looking. Okay. And we have the... um, yeah, so we have our script is often bad, but that site has now gone down. So our, our script might be even worse. I think that this was just emerging of things in my head, but I did watch the preview for She's the Man, um, a 2006 romance comedy where Amanda Bynes has a twin brother and the brother is going away, I think, to England. And he says, can you just be me for the semester or whatever? And so she dresses as him and then has all these things where she's like, in the boys' locker room and all of that. Um, and I just think that Michael does show <laughs> what feels like the genuine respect that he shows from the, for this young, like, teenage girl actress who is funny, but who's in these kind of romance comedies that are aimed for teenagers. Yes, yeah. Just one of the best things, one of the best Michael things here. So it looks like she was in both of those. She was in What a Girl Wants, 2003 teen comedy. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, and then also in uh, She's she's the Man. Was that what you said? Um, yes. Yeah, it's just so funny to think he has that reference point. Um, yeah. <laughs> love that. And yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. I, you need the leadership qualities of a binds or a hope. A binds or a hope. Yeah. Which so makes I just want to watch like what were her leadership qualities in what a girl wants. Uh, uh, yeah. 
And I guess it's that she's got, she's funny. Like he thinks that she's funny because that's what we're going for is the Bob Hope Bynes factor. Like it's someone who's a comedian. I do not remember Amanda Bynes at all. So I feel really out of the loop on this conversation. Well, I, I think wasn't there some, yeah, go ahead. I think she's one of those child stars where things like kind of got bad. Oh yeah. Now I she, so she kind of took, I read about it a little bit. Like she kind of stepped away from acting and I think has been out of the spotlight. Oh, I see. Oh, um, yeah. I think that that's essentially what I, what I had heard about her. Oof. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stop reading the Wikipedia page there. Um, <laughs> But if I can, uh, I would like to jump to another cultural reference that you mentioned, and I've been dying to unpack, um, if I may. Please. Uh, which is the survivor reference, which is the model that Michael is using here. Um, we get that clearly not only in the um, uh, like the torches and the iconography of how they're they're set up around the coal. Uh, walk for example but also michael says um i love he says just words inspiring words not a contender uh, <laughs> talking about oscar for the competitions you will be divided into four tribes each tribe will have a leader that i will pick randomly off the top of my head etc um so this idea of the tribe or whatever and so i i was excited to talk about this for for a couple of reasons but it just so happens that uh this past week in my theory class we did marxist theory and I always have the students sort of read our, you know, the, the stuff about, you know, the kind of theory itself, and then read an essay that's sort of applying that theory to a cultural mm -hmm. text. And so the essay that I had them read this time, um, in fact, is called Surviving It, The Strange Thrill of Watching Survivor, um, mm -hmm. which I will post in the chat, and maybe we can add it to the Instagram in case anybody wants to um, read it, but I just want to read a couple of excerpts from the article, and we might think about them in relationship to the show. And just for context, remember that the the logo for Survivor has a um, slogan, and the slogan of the show is Outwit, Outplay, Outlast. Mm. Um, so this is from Aaron Schwartz's article uh, from 2018, and so just a couple of excerpts. She writes, I used to wonder why the nastier realities of late capitalism were so rarely captured in the media, but that was before I started watching Survivor. Survivor is an essential entry in our era's fucked up canon. It's thrilling and strange and raw, a template for making late capitalist heroes. It's in this landscape that Survivor thrives. Although it involves physical challenges, the substance of the show is its social game. The alliances between players and their clandestine coordination of eliminations. The show often describes itself as, quote, the greatest social experiment on television, and past seasons have been organized around divides like class, race, age, gender, and generation. In essence, the show fabricates a society to study how power is distributed within it, and in doing so magnifies the demands that capitalism makes of ordinary people. On Survivor, privacy is non-existent. You're always on the clock, affect is everything, and deferring healthcare might be a million-dollar decision. The show asks its players what parts of themselves they are willing to leave behind to get rich, then requires from them the creativity to convince the audience and one another that they're not leaving behind anything at all. 
Survivor has changed. I'm just reading a couple of excerpts. I'm wrapping up, I promise. But Survivor has changed significantly since then, but its origin story is indelibly a corporate consultant in a tree running a brainstorming exercise. In a 2001 interview in Esquire, Burnett described the show as a workplace drama. Quote, Survivor is based on real life. We've all experienced workplace politics. We've all dealt with these situations, people befriending you, people stabbing you in the back. He also produces Shark Tank and is the creator of The Apprentice. Oh. Starring Donald Trump. Although few of Survivor's subsequent winners came from corporate America, you could, without too much difficulty, imagine each of them at the helm of a startup with a cultish office environment. They're a heterogeneous group, bold and timid, charming and abrasive, but they all share a knack for strategy and an eerie talent for separating the private from the public. They understand how another person wants to be approached and will rise to meet them in a manner that appears effortless and natural and runs independently from their inner sensibility. In this sense, it's hard to say which is more breathtaking, the fact that Survivor is real or that it's fake. Like capitalism, the show can be lurid and mean-spirited and Kafka-esque, but there's nothing at its core you could call stupid. It's like reality boiled down to a syrup. Those who are good at it are people of impressive depth, and it's exciting and somewhat baffling to watch them, like base jumpers or preternaturally funny teenagers on Vine. This feeling is best described as awe. It's awesome to watch someone give them give the game a run for its money. While the contestants leave home for the game's 39-day run, their everyday responsibility, work, chores, bills are suspended. An, indifferent, an economy indifferent to its members' survival shrinks to the scale of an island, and on the island, you can win. So, the, you know, forgive me for reading all of that into the record, but I thought it would be interesting to think then, like here we, it's almost like The Office knew that about Survivor and really like distills, like turns Survivor inside out and is basically like, okay, like that show sort of makes it seem like it's Lord of the Flies, you know, yeah. on an island or whatever, but actually it is just like workplace politics. So let's import that to this office. But what's kind of funny is how <laughs> so many of the workers are just like, fuck this. Like, I don't want to stab anybody in the back. I just want to, like, eat hot dogs. Except you have, like, Andy, who's trying not to get filled with rage. And then you have Dwight and Angela, who are plotting alliances. I don't yeah. know. I was curious if you had any thoughts or connections to the capitalism there. That's super interesting. And there have been the references before. So particularly with Dwight asking Jim, do you want to form an alliance? Right. So we've had that there. We've had Michael referring to The Apprentice and to Donald Trump and him saying, but the thing I don't like to say, you're fired. I like to say you're hired. Right. So that's interesting that this has already sort of infused the office culture in some way. And now they're making it an explicit test. And um, you described there was something in there about who wins. And Dwight is the one who both makes alliances in the workplace explicitly and directly and kind of plays the game in that way. But also he is the best, well, I guess not in all the categories, but in some, it seems that he is the best at this. Like the part where he is willing to walk on the coals until he gets the job. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about the line yeah. that said, um, you have to be willing to, what are you willing to leave behind and like 
what level deferring healthcare, the thing about deferring healthcare, how much healthcare are you willing to defer yes. in order to potentially win? So he is willing to burn himself seriously like, <laughs> in order to win. And he was willing also in order to win and get ahead and do the best thing for the company to slash healthcare to the bone and all of that. Right. Oh my healthcare. God, I forgot about that. So Dwight is like the perfect survivor contestant. And yet none of that makes him successful. It does not make him successful. What was so interesting to me about that part was like, Michael's basically like, yeah, I'm never going to hire you. Yeah. It just seemed like he was always going to hire Jim or wanted to, even though he sort of recognizes like, or in his mind, Jim's kind of a slacker. I love that line where he's like, Jim, I take all day to do a job. Jim finishes in 30 minutes. So what is that? Yeah. Oh my God. But um, yeah. And, and then he's like, yeah, as if I'm going to hire a woman. Anyway, so there's something interesting about like, yeah, there's this game, but actually it's totally rigged. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to make the case that Pam actually is very effective in her, like she, in terms of that description of using, um, you know, sort of a, a, I don't know, putting yourself out there and using your your charisma or your uh, expressiveness or whatever to I don't want to say manipulate other people, but like it made me think of Pam. I don't think that she's trying to manipulate anybody, but she is the one who kind of uses emotional authenticity, although it doesn't really achieve anything for her, but it should. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It was just interesting. Nobody gives her a chance, but, you know, felt like, man, she'd be a good boss. Yeah, because she's the only one who does the coal walk in a way that is not completely stupid like Dwight. Right. She does it with courage and with determination and you know just goes straight across and does it she gives her speech like you like you said yeah. um and michael after it says pam that was amazing but i'm still looking for someone with a sales background <laughs> so performing the best in the system doesn't end up working the thing back to um what you were saying about dwight and his response to dwight Michael says after that, being the boss is also about image. I've never looked like that. That was gross. I just, I don't see the connection between a fire walk and management worth 75 bucks I ever spent. You know, <laughs> if I had to pick my replacement based on today, it would be Mr. Outside Hire. Um, so he's he's actually reevaluated and decided the fire walk wasn't the, wasn't the best. But that element of image to it is interesting. Like where's that balance between sacrificing so much and doing whatever it takes to get there, but also in a way where you maintain a level of image that is enough to be a manager. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, I was curious. I mean, maybe we'll find out next episode how everybody perceives Pam's uh, vulnerability. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to read people's faces in the pit or the mm. you know, circle or whatever, but Ryan yeah. seems pretty shocked. Yeah, um, in some way, but like I did read it as courageous, but it is interesting. Yeah, that Michael's theory is like you kind of need to maintain a certain image, and he fantasizes that he's done that. Even though when he says I would never do something like that, I was instantly trying to think how many times have we seen him fall on his face and do something like that. But of course, what about the um, the magic? You know, when he does the magic great <laughs> jacket, when he's like spinning around on the floor, actually in a movement very similar to Dwight. But he does say with a cold walk, he does not show courage and he does not show solidarity. He doesn't do it. Kevin says, why don't you go, Michael? 
Michael, because I already did. Remember, I burned my foot on a George Foreman grill. <laughs> Great callback. Oh, so good. And There's then, some, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, so Jim's, I'm just going to finish reading this part. Um, Jim says, and that is not the same at all. If you're going to ask other people to do it, you should do it yourself. So Michael says, all right, okay, all right, fine, okay. And then he's standing this made me laugh so much the way that he stands and kind of hovers his foot over it like you know afraid to afraid to start and what he says the mind has to wrap around the foot (laughs) (laughs) it's sort of so fitting actually with the the kind of um maybe it's sort of a self-help language that's like, you know, the mind has to, to do this thing in order for the body, whatever. <laughs> Just, the mind has to wrap around the foot. Um, it's such a good image. It's so funny. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, it's just great. I, I I did wonder if he'd had his foot burned on the Foreman grill, wouldn't that mean that he's got like a kind of layer of scar? That <laughs> that's a good point. Easier to do. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Which um which of these competitions do you think you would excel in? Okay, well now's the time to bring it up. Uh, I have been in a, an eating competition. Really? Uh, just once, and uh, I I regret it. Um, but so. <laughs> Um, so I have a really good friend who, uh, you know, I don't know, does weird and wild things, especially in our twenties. And so he would hold like eating contests with his friends. And so it would be like, I don't know if he ever did hot dogs, but he would do like, you know, Big Macs and like how many people can eat this many and whatever. (laughs) And so, um, I was in Philadelphia and he had one for cheesesteaks. How many, so the contest was how many cheese steaks can you eat in like five minutes or something like that or whatever and who can eat the one cheesesteak the fastest and I can't remember what the third category was or something but there were like three things or whatever and I thought you know I I don't know I like eating cheesesteaks and I eat fast and probably too fast so this won't be a problem for me and um but a couple of things I was thinking about this during the episode the first is that like so he went to the well, we all showed up at the place, like, so in, in Philadelphia, like there's Pat's and Gino's and, um, you know, everybody debates which cheesesteak place is better. I like Pat's, okay. but, um, and I think that's the one we were at, but anyway, so he like called ahead, ordered, I don't know, like 30 or 40 cheesesteaks oh, and they were, investment. yeah, so the cheesesteaks are sitting and it's cold outside and it's raining and we're all huddled under the sink. So they're all cold. And, um, and then he gives us cups of water and it's like, yeah, you should like dip the cheesesteak, you know, like get it, go down fast or whatever. And like, I just, after like about a half a cheesesteak, I was like, oh, I don't feel good. Like, I don't like this. Like, and it was crazy because there was this one guy, the, the most beautiful guy there, like uh-huh. gorgeous model. Like he looked like a model, crushes cheesesteak after cheesesteak after cheesesteak. And you know, he's super fit and he's, I'm telling you like really beautiful or whatever. And he wins and Michael's like, yeah, or he, or my friend, he's like, he went, you know, he wins all the, all of these things. He, he did this as some sort of like competitive, I don't masochistic thing. Anyway, all of that is to say, I don't have what it takes. Okay. Because on the one hand, it seems like to do a food eating competition, you both have to like 
actually be fit, which what? And then it also, you have to eat a lot of this food, but you don't get to enjoy it. Uh-huh. Um, That's true. That's true. So I don't think I could do that one. I would really enjoy doing the, uh, the sumo one, but I feel like I would not have the fierceness of, of a Stanley. So I'm going to say, I feel like the egg race would be my time to shine. I think I could give good instructions, positive reinforcement. That's I, true. You would, you would shine there. I think I could, I think I could build trust. Yeah. You know, you mentioned your Philadelphia, your Pennsylvania experience. And I think that brings us to Lake Scranton. <laughs> so I looked this up. There is some, a bit of banter on Reddit over this. Someone saying, for example, there are no beaches at Lake Scranton and someone else saying, I feel totally betrayed. Um, it looks lovely. It is a nice inland lake. Um, and apparently it's got a running slash hiking trail that goes around it. And it's about three and a half miles around. Do you have any experience, any Pennsylvania references to Lake Scranton? Like, has this been on your mental map? No, I've never been there. Uh, but now I kind of want to check it out. See, see, yeah. the, fact check it, you know, I don't know. Fact check it. Yeah. Well, yeah, apparently there are real questions about the factualness, but, um, and it, it does not look like a lake that really has beaches, but I mean, would we even call this thing they go to a beach? It almost sort of looks like they pulled over on the side of the highway and it's just like, it, it, I don't know. It doesn't even really feel like a beach to me. There is some sand, but it was unclear to me the relationship between where the sand and like the shore was. It's yeah. Time. Yeah. Um, kind of, kind of a bizarre um, beach layout. I, I will also say in terms of uh, fact checking, I looked up the list of the largest lakes in the United States by area. Not surprisingly, Lake Scranton is not number eight. I think Michael says it's the late eighth largest indigenous lake in North America or something like that. List of the top 98, and it is not on there. So it's, yeah. it is not big. Michael lied to it's us. Definitely not big. Wait, hold on. Uh, I need to know which of the activities, which of the fun activities would you thrive at? I feel like the hot dog eating contest. I think I'd be good. Okay, but uh, what kind of hot dogs? Would you be able to eat a hot dog naked like they do? Or would you demand a Chicago dog? I actually like a hot dog naked like that. Just a bun in the hot dog I think is great. <laughs> no condiments? I mean, I can do condiments too, but I also just really like plain. Not dipped in water though. I've never <laughs> dipped in water. So I have a, a confession to make. I wasn't sure if I was going to tell you on the pod. I feel very guilty about it. Um, and I want to ask for your forgiveness, but. Wow. Okay. Is this I hot dog related? It is hot dog related. So, but I'm genuinely serious when I say like, I actually feel very guilty about this. And listeners, Megan doesn't know what I'm about to tell. Hot related. You feel guilty. I feel deeply guilty, in fact, because I believe I've even made this commitment on the pod. And now I've broken the commitment. I've bro broken the, 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 the pact that we had, which is, okay, so I have the DVDs, right? Yes. And you finish the episode and the deleted scenes are right there. And I've never watched them. And we said we would never watch them. But did we, we didn't say that. We said we're not watching them 
let's clarify our terms. We're not watching them before we discuss the episode. So I, this- thought we were, I thought we were talking about like not watching them until we've completed the show and then going back and looking at the deleted scenes like so that they don't taint our point of view. But you've probably already watched all the deleted scenes, yeah? Might have watched some. Here's my here's my kind of policy on it. Like I will go back and watch the extended episodes, but only after we have watched and discussed. But oh. I'm not as far. I'm like in, you know, maybe season two of watching deleted scenes. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I still feel really guilty about it because but I, I kind of I I I I did it for one very particular reason, mm-hmm. which is this. Something that really irritated me in this episode just like my narrative brain was like, okay, Michael says cook however many hot dogs, like 800 hot dogs or what is it? 80 hot dogs? I don't know. It's 800. 800 hot dogs. And she's like, how am I going to do this or whatever? And then in the next scene, they're eating the hot dogs. Now I paused and I looked very closely and there are grill marks on the hot dogs. And that bothered me because I thought, A, it would be really funny if they don't grill them. And Michael did say that technically you don't need to cook them. That's true. That's and true. then secondly, I was like, okay, fine. If they cook them, how did Pam solve this problem? Hmm. Um, um, there is a deleted scene that shows her grilling them. And hmm. I felt guilty that I looked at this scene and I won't assess it or interpret it, but it was, it was, it was an interesting thing where I was kind of like, will run up against these moments of like narrative ellipsis and Mm -hmm. wonder, you know, like kind of speculate on it. And it's just sort of an intriguing idea to me, like to go back and look at these and be like, which of our big questions actually would have been answered and which ones Mm -hmm. actually were just absent because it was like, oh, we don't need to show the audience that or whatever. Um, So anyway, uh, I'm sorry I looked at the deleted scene. I learned nothing, but it was... I think it's funnier if she doesn't actually grill 800 hot dogs, but that's just me. That would be funny. Although, I mean, I guess here's the thing, because it does it does change the reading. And I guess maybe our interpretation when it's not there is that it says something about the invisibility of labor. Like the one person uh, who's actually having to do work that day just like disappears. So that whole thing gets cut out. So here you go. This is what we can do with holes in a plot. You are brilliant. That is part of the text. (laughs) Here's the other one, though, that I thought about you also in like narrative terms, because there were two of those moments. One of them was with the hot dogs, where it jumps from the bags to the hot dogs being done. The other is when Michael, when the fire first lights, and he has two guys who are there with a pickup truck who have been unloading the wood. But it goes from lighting. It is a massive, massive rectangular pile of logs that would take hours to burn all the way down. <laughs> and it cuts. So with that, and then it cuts to it being just down to the coals. And the coals are all uniform and they like clearly come from some kind of set. And he does say that it was $75. So that was the gap that almost got to me more. I'm like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> And it does turn out to be night, but it's just uh, it's just a, a quick cut. I don't know. Maybe you have solutions from your deleted scenes. Uh, not that I recall. Um, like, uh, are they just sitting around for hours waiting for this thing to get prepared? I don't know. It seems to be. And it definitely was kind of like kind of I don't know. Yeah, it's like this is a long day for everybody at, at the at the but. 
is a long day. It is definitely a long day. Before we head to Chili's, I do have just one one question and one line to read into the record, um, at least for me, but I'm happy to, you know, unpack all of it. You know, I don't know. We didn't talk about Andy. I don't really care about him. <laughs> Angela's oh, yeah. white scheming doesn't really go anywhere. But I love the line of Oscar saying, if either of these guys are put in charge of the office, I'll transfer yeah. all of me. Gil can come if he wants. I'm kind of looking for a way out of that relationship anyway. I think <laughs> I might try girls for a while. Angela <laughs> thinks I can cross over. We'll see. But yeah, my big question was just what you thought on Pam's um, monologue. Pam's monologue. Well, should I, should I read it into the record? Yeah, absolutely. Got the content? Okay. So she runs over the group after she has done the coal walk and they have left because Michael was like, no, you're not doing it. So she ends up just doing it on her own. She comes over as they're all sitting around. And um, I think this is when they're getting into their, their stories to capture the Bob Hope slash Amanda Bynes factor. Mm -hmm. Um, So she says, Hey, I want to say something. I've been trying to be more honest lately. And I just need to say a few things. I did the coal walk. Just, I did it. Michael, you couldn't even do that. Maybe I should be your boss. Wow, I feel really good right now. Why didn't any of you come to my art show? I invited you, I invited all of you. That really sucked. It's like sometimes some of you act like I don't even exist. Jim, I called off my wedding because of you. And now we're not even friends. And things are just like weird between us. And that sucks. And I miss you. You were my best friend before you went to Stanford. And I really miss you. I shouldn't have been with Roy. And there were a lot of reasons to call off my wedding. But the truth is, I didn't care about any of those reasons until I met you. And now you're with someone else. And that's fine. It's whatever. That's not what I'm not. Okay, my feet really hurt. The thing that I'm just trying to say to you, Jim, and to everyone else in the circle, I guess, is that I miss having fun with you. Just you, not everyone in the circle. Okay, I'm going to go walk in the water now. Yeah, it's a good day. So that is Pam's. Yeah. What'd you think? I thought it was sweet and I thought it was touching. And um, I felt like if we remember all the way back to the day of the art show, somebody did show up. Well, Michael showed up. Yeah. Also Oscar and Gil. And that was when she overheard them talking about her art. And Oscar said something like courage and honesty aren't really Pam's strong suits. Right. And so this has been a day where she has been showing, and I think this is something that's been building over the season, but really showing courage and honesty. Yeah. And so she's just come off the courage with the um, walk, and this is a courageous thing to do, and she is being very honest about her feelings. And so I thought that it was um, kind of sweet, and I like the way that it interrupts it with the moments that are funny um like you know i'm trying to say to you jim and to everyone in the circle i guess um that keep it that keep like some humor coming into it but i thought it was sweet i found it yeah i think it's really touching i think it's um uh yeah i think it's beautifully acted like i love the actress's like approach to it um i question how courageous Pam is being or truthful as it unfolds like 
and I, that's not to criticize her. It's just kind of, it's very human and interesting. Like she does this bold thing, but the implication of, um, uh, and now you're with somebody else and that's fine. It's whatever. That's not, I'm not, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, either the implication is like, I wish you weren't, we should be together or, you know, <clears throat> I don't care about you like that. I want us to be friends. So it doesn't matter whether you're with somebody else, but of course it's the former. Um, yeah. And it's unclear to me whether she understands that or just can't say it. Um, mm-hmm. Or whether she, you know, cause we, we get the shot over to Karen and Karen's like, what are you about to say? And I feel bad for Karen constantly. <laughs> um, it's Karen too. So I don't know, you know, that's, a, that's not a criticism. It's just like, it's a kind of, I think it's a really well-written character moment um and i agree with, you know it's interesting oscar and michael get kind of written out of who did come to the art show yeah you're right it connects to the theme that you were saying the hot dog theme which is basically the invisible labor of the wage worker compared to the salary and commission workers um and she straight up says like you act like you don't see me and i love the payoff you know gill and and oscar said she's not courageous and here she is being yeah. courageous, and it gives us that s- sitcom seriality which is huh. seems like the office popularized to some degree maybe you know where you're having narrative threads pay off over the course of a season yeah um yeah i don't know uh yeah i really like the line i shouldn't have been with roy there were a lot of reasons called my wedding but i didn't care about any of those until i met you i really i just think that's an interesting that's great writing yeah yeah you know what this and this comes after the um idea of having uh let's see where is this having the leadership qualities of a binds or a hope and if binds is a romantic comedy actress i think that beasley is really bringing the binds factor because it is kind of a romantic comedy speech yeah i think you're right i think you're right so I think she's the binds and Michael recognizes it when he says, Pam, that was amazing, but I'm still looking for someone with a sales background. Well, I'm ready to head to Chili's if you are. I just, I have one, one other note here. And that is about when they're picking teams and um, Dwight picks Gryffindor and Jim says something like not Slytherin and you know Dwight tells him no those are the bad guys and then Jim picks Voldemort who Dwight says is he who should not be named and I don't really know Harry Potter very well and I haven't read the books but for some reason I love a good Harry Potter houses joke (laughs) I just I I thought it was really funny (laughs) And they come to it later, like Dwight later continues, you know, to cheer for Gryffindor. And so I just, uh, I thought that was a fun little Dwight detail. Um, So what what Angela, Angela might take, take issue with. Yeah, you would think so. It's funny. It feels like when he tells the aristocrats joke, he's like trying to keep it PG. And I was like, is that for her or for him? But they really did emphasize how kind of stupid he is in this episode because he seemed to actually believe if you say Voldemort, he will appear. And yeah, I like that running thread. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go over to Chili's and let's let's give out some Dundies. 
I got one right off the right off the gate. It's uh, the Burning Hot Courage Award goes to Pam Beasley, uh, mm-hmm. speaking wow. her truth, as they say. Um, and uh, I really, you know, love the way that she, you know, uh, sp- you know, I don't know, speaks her voice and inhabits a position of power. Uh, although, yeah, anyway, we'll talk, we'll have to come back to that question of like the doing it in front of everybody, but I found that fascinating. But anyway, it was just really, I thought I was like, hell yeah. Um, but then the other award uh, is the fake it till you make it award. And it goes to my favorite character this whole episode. And that is Stanley. Um, Stanley has so many great moments here, you know, when he's told to get to the back of the bus or the front of the bus, uh-huh. or the bus, then we get, um, he's going to be on the red team. He changes his mind. No, I want the blue team. Um, but once he hears about the the what's at stake, um, my favorite moment is when he's like, um, man, what does he say? He says, uh, hold on, it's really important that I read it. Uh, okay, so Michael says, what does a great manager mean most of all? Courage. Stanley says, how so? I mean, sure thing. That sounds smart. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go sit on the, I'm going to sit in the bus. Uh, so I love that he tried to fake it. And, uh, but I also think it's just so funny. He's like, no, I- I'm not a person for bullshit. Um, so worth it. Can't he, do it. he, he, uh, he cracked me up. Yeah. All right. Well, I am giving the character development award and that goes to Ms. Pam Beasley. Yes. And this award is not only for today, but for the courage and the honesty that she has been working on for quite a long time, um, including back to the the scene at the bar when she asks for a light beer and they give her a regular one and she decides to go back and let them know and trade it in. And she says that she's trying to be more honest. And um, I feel like she actually has the biggest, like the biggest arc and biggest development over the course of the season. Absolutely. One final note. And this is just in the the final bus scene. So it cuts back in the closing to them singing another song on the bus, but it's on their way there because it's still during the daytime. Mm. Um, And they are singing the Flintstone song. And at the end, Michael calls out, I guess like Fred Flintstone does, Wilma. And he just has this little smile at the end that is so endearing. And I just wanted to point it out. For people to enjoy. I love that. I love that. It was so charming. So charming. Um, well, okay. So next episode is going to be season three, episode 24. Um, and I do not have the uh, title. Is it The Job? It's The Job. And I think there might actually be two parts. I think it might be two episodes. Is that okay. right? Yeah, I think you're right. Or in um, 25? Okay. Wow. Yeah, you're right. That makes sense. 25 episodes. Wow. Um, yeah a lot it's a packed season so are we gonna double dip it or are we gonna like are we gonna give them an omnibus episode or are we gonna split it what do you think no we, we gotta split it <laughs> we gotta split it all right <laughs> you heard it here folks uh well we will look forward to next time thanks so much for listening all right thank you for listening bye